Our world is dying, politicians are lying And just when you feel like crying Sit and have a listen to people who have shit themselves Hi, I'm Claudia. I'm Evie. And we are the hosts of The Poodcast, a podcast where we basically tell stories about people pooing themselves. And The Poodcast is also a podcast that will focus on and discuss the issues surrounding bowel and bladder conditions, such as IBS, Crohn's, colitis, celiac disease, cystitis, urinary incontinence, and plenty more. We want to break the stigma surrounding these conditions and get people talking about toilets. We have historically found these topics especially difficult to talk about whether it be an invisible illness or just what our bodies do naturally every day so we think it's time to change that and this week our focus will be on invisible illness and religious practices but first we say how are your bums and your tums evie how is your bum and tum thank you very much you're welcome for asking um my my bum fine yeah good um tum has had an incident this week Uh-oh. there is always something to say isn't there is always, always like oh, my bum's fallen off well no my <laughs> bum's never fallen off but um i went to a gym class good for you I know, first for everything. Were you just observing? Or you just... <laughs> well, I wish I had, because I booked in something called SosaFit. I thought it was a typo, and I was like, I don't know what SosaFit is, but yeah. I want to go. She's going to be so, so fit. She's going to be so <laughs> fit. <laughs> and I turn up, and because of coronavirus, there's a big sort of queuing system outside, and you have to kind of line up past, like, two metres in front of each other. It's a big line. Okay. And a woman joins the queue behind me, and... She looks about, I would say, like, approaching 60. And she's okay. wearing, like, very corporate clothing. She's wearing a suit and court shoes. And she looks like she's never been to SosaFit. And I don't... I know, neither have I, but at least I knew I was probably going to She is mm, so, so fit. She is so, <laughs> she's so, so fit. She's not so fit. Okay. And I was like, well... What are you gonna do, babe? You're in your court shoes. You can't do SosaFit. Still, don't, at this point, don't know what SosaFit is. And... uh there's a toilet cubicle ahead and she sort of shuffles past me and I was like, she's going to go and get changed for so-so fit. But I can't express to you how formal she looked. Okay. She, 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 and she didn't look, this is my own prejudice, she didn't look to me like a dancer very much. You know, she was, you know, a woman of a certain age. Is this going to be a Susan Boyle moment where suddenly um, she's like flipping everywhere? Well, and- sort, sort of, yeah. Okay. So I went into the class and um, the teacher, who looked also exactly like Sarah Pascoe and sounded her voice sounded just like her, at one point I was like, I think this class is taken by Sarah Pascoe. Yeah. Um, we were all like getting ready for this Sosa fit, still no idea what it is, and in comes Susan Boyle from the queue. Yeah. And she's in a full body, as in ankle all the way up, bright purple leotard. <gasps> the boldest, brightest purple you've ever seen. And I, I like everyone. Just you know, when everyone's looking, I was like, "She looks. She's all in." She was wearing like jazz shoes as well. She was all in. Obviously, Sosa Fit starts, and she's doing her own moves, Claudia. And what she's vibing it out. She's doing whatever she wants. It, it doesn't matter what the teacher's doing. She's she's moving. I want to be her. So she was great, and she was great, and I was really enjoying the Sosa class. I still don't know what it is, but it's basically steps to kind of salsa foxtrot vibe. Okay. It wasn't and then, it wasn't salsa class and you just I think there were I think no, it wasn't. It was Sosa. It was, it was Sosa. Sosa. Fit. Okay, Sosa. It was Sosa fit. So 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 <laughs> Sosa fit. Sorry. <laughs> Please no. And um and and I was kind of getting into it and then all of a sudden 
I get, you know, those stomach churns. No. It was started to grumble and my stomach just dropped. Sosa shit. It was going to be so, so shit. And I was like, I'm going to so, so shit. <laughs> and what was then terrible was this teacher was really, really going for it. And on her T-shirt, it said, if in doubt, shimmy it out. And then I was just staring at her, trying to do these moves, trying not to poo. But with the message going into my head, if in doubt, shimmy, shimmy it out. out. And I was like, I'm. it's going to come out of me. So I wanted to go to the toilet. But again, because of coronavirus, there's a one-way system. So I had to go out through the car park, all the way back round in the building and come back in by Susan Boyle. And it took me half the class to do that. And then by the end, they were like, great class, everyone. I was like... Oh, I've missed all of Sosa Pit because I, and I tell you what, it was a good job I went to the toilet because the it was the moment I closed the door and locked it, I was like, I, I'm glad but I'm here. All I've got is Disaster. this image of you physically shimmying it out, like you sat shimmying. on the toilet, like shimmy to the left, shimmy to the I right, think, and the movement you shimmied it out. I think because of the movement, it just really gets things going for me, yeah. and. It was, it was all the shimming. It did literally shimmy it out. And I wanted to go and say, can you please not wear that T-shirt next time? Because it's, you know... It's, really, it's, it's misleading. It's really misleading. You don't want me to shimmy it out. No, and, and if you are that vulnerable that you are going to read anything that's on a T-shirt, what if the T-shirt said, I don't know... Poo on the floor. Poo on the floor. I would have done, done it. I think so. Well, I've got to really watch what I wear on my clothes now. Yeah, I think... Do you know what? I've got a bit of a thing, though, about words on clothing. Yeah. Yeah, I think I've mentioned this before. I don't you like don't. Women. any women's clothes. You're like, oh, that looks nice. And you pull it off the rack and it will be like... Nasty girl. Nasty, yeah. Yeah. And then on the back, it, on the front it'll have angel and a, with a halo over it. And on the what? back it'll have like devil with horns. I'm like, what? You've just ruined a perfectly what good jumper. nasty girl even mean? Like, does that mean... Like, does it mean like you're kind of freaking the sheets? Like, what does... You're what a does, nasty girl. You're, like, or does it mean you're mean? We've, you are a nasty, nasty I think piece of work. never sounded less cool a finger is off the pulse at the moment how how's your bum and tum cords well it's yeah my my bum and tum have been okay my cystitis has been playing up this week and i've constantly the question should have been how's your urethra yeah and it's been yeah and Mm. it's been i just constantly needed a wee and because i i've had a bit of a cold this week from those pesky children i work with and and getting a little bit of a cough it's not coronavirus we can all calm down but just a little bit of a, of a cough well thanks for saying that now i'm already sat next to you well yeah it's a bit too late now isn't it um <laughs> but and anytime i cough then like, i'm gonna weigh my pants like has I've, any come out not yet but i actually don't think i have a very strong pelvic floor at all mm. and anytime i'm like oh no no coughing like, i feel do to, weak do you have to sit down when you cough well i don't have to sit down but i just have to prepare myself mm. like but also what i wanted to talk to you about today that does not involve my bum and tum thank god mm. i don't know if you saw on the way down to my house i live down a little muse it's very nice thank you so like much little cottages like little cottages well, it's not very nice right now because somebody has taken a massive poo, a human poo, down the muse that I live in. I didn't see it. Where is it? I didn't see it either. I oh. was walking happily and then my boyfriend said to me, well, what do you think of our new little friend out there? And I thought, I didn't see a squirrel. I didn't see a cat. <laughs> what, what are you referring to? And he went, go on, go look out by number two's bins. Number two's. Number two. <laughs> very appropriate. I did that. And... There is a massive human 
poo. That's it disgusting. It is humongous. And it's been there now for four days. And they, the people that live there haven't done anything well, about it. Well, I think the lady it. doth protest too much. Have you got anything to do with this? It wasn't me, I swear. It's, it, it wasn't me. Like, okay. I... I <laughs> the more you say it, kind of sounds like it was. It wasn't me. <laughs> But I just don't know. I don't know what to do. Like, it, it, my fine. my sister's coming round for dinner next Sunday, and I, I'm not gonna next lie. Next Sunday, it'll be gone by next Sunday. What if it's not? I don't it's know. raining so much at the minute, up. and I'm almost kind of hoping it will wash it away. But that mm. doesn't seem to be happening either. A fox might eat it. But then also, what if it washes it down? What if I've got this steady stream and I can't get to my house? I'm going to have to get this little rowboat to, like, n- like navigate my way past this... Ma- like, what am I... I don't know what to do. It sounds like you're living in, like, Victorian London. Yeah, when, the, you know, when they didn't... When the poo used to just go down the street. You used to throw it out the window. Yeah, collect your poo, throw it out the window. That actually... I learned that about Edinburgh the other day. You know, they've got it down um, off the mile. Yeah. There's that road that goes down to Grassmarket. Well, there's these big houses above and they used to throw poo and they used to actually invent a law that you had to shout like, tally-ho, to warn people that you were throwing your poo. Why was it tally-ho? I'm sure it wasn't (laughs) tally-ho. I'm sure it was, watch out for the shit. But do you know what I mean? Like something more. And because people were getting poo thrown on their heads and they created a law around it. I feel in Edinburgh, they've got a lot of things like that because they built a whole city, didn't they? For when the Black Plague was around, they built all these streets and would put people with a black plague into these streets so now when loads of people have bought houses in edinburgh have gone to like knock through um a wall in their house yeah and they've knocked it out onto a street but they're like secret hidden oh my streets God. this is like what we had at school we had the isolation room for children that we thought might have coronavirus and it soon became the isolation corridor <laughs> because kids just cough don't they so yeah. all these teachers were sending all these children and then we just had like a like a whole living society in the isolation corridor of these poor kids that just had a bit of a sneeze this has turned into an episode of horrible history i know i'm really sorry <laughs> <laughs> what have you done this it's not the focus also neither of us know what the fuck we're talking about no i know but it's fun <laughs> to pretend isn't it yeah back to the old blagney art Oh god, yeah. So if you know anything about um Victorian Edinburgh, get in touch. Yeah, and, and just their sewer system and you know that kind of thing. We're we're very interested. Well please keep us up to date with uh, the poo outside number two. Poo in the muse, guys. I'll let you know the what happens. Agatha the latest episode, Agatha Christie, who doth did the poo in the muse. Permission to discuss condition. This week, our focus is on invisible illness and religious practices. Our incredible guest is Omar Ahmed, who pens the brilliant Ostimate for Life blog, where she writes about her experience of Crohn's, influenced by her Muslim, Pakistani and British background. Omar raises awareness of Crohn's and mental health and has spoken at Stories from the Inside and shared her tales through Gut Instinct's stomach stories. Welcome, Omar. Hi, guys. How are you? (laughs) We're good. How are you, love? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. And how's your bum and your tum? Um, well, I guess technically I don't have a bum anymore, um, since I have a permanent colostomy. Um, but my tum, generally, it's normally really good, but today it's not doing so well. So I've, I'm sat here with a little um, hot water bottle. Um, (laughs) does that help hot water bottle on your tummy yeah definitely I think when it's cramping but I think um because it's my time of the month as well I feel like it always just makes um your Crohn's and IBD a little bit worse so yeah I'm just having one of those days (laughs) see it's where I'm the opposite if I get tummy cramps I want something really cold on my stomach I want to like strip down 
I get so hot and bothered that I want to put like ice because I think obviously mine with IBS is more bloating than maybe what's kind of going on so it seems to like cool it down and that mm. seems to like calm the bloat down Interesting. I, don't, I don't know the science behind it Omar. mine is the opposite because when I'm cramping I start to like sweat and get shivers because oh. I yeah so I I have the opposite where I need something like really hot on my stomach to help with the cramps and like relax the muscle a little bit yeah relaxing the, the muscle I mean that does make sense I'm probably doing it wrong to, to be honest it worse. <laughs> I think I'm just a naturally very sweaty person <laughs> um so we would just like to ask you a bit about sort of how you came about to the the diagnosis of, of Crohn's and when that happened yeah sure so um I was actually in my final year of uni. I was doing my master's in chemistry. And um, a few months before, I started to just develop symptoms. So my first symptom that I actually got was just blood in the toilet. So I didn't have constipation. I didn't have diarrhea, no weight loss, no pain, no cramping, nothing. Um, But when I'd go to the toilet, like a lot of blood would pass. And I didn't really think anything of it. And I share a bathroom with one of my sisters. So I think a few times she'd seen after I'd gone to the toilet that there was like a bit of blood remaining or whatever. And she'd ask me about it. And I'd be like, oh, it's no big deal. It doesn't hurt. So it must not be anything serious. So she went and um, told on me to my mum. And and then my mum forced me to go to the GP and he was great. Um, I'm one of the lucky ones who I've always had a really good GP and a good relationship with him. So he just sent me to get um, seen by a gastro team straight away. So he referred me to a hospital and he was nice enough to refer me to a lady doctor as well. Um, So he asked my preference and I was like, yeah, if I'm going to have someone poking around down there, I'd rather have it be a lady. (laughs) So... um, So yeah, they were just like doing a few tests for a few months, um, did a colonoscopy um, a few months later. And then that's when they kind of gave me a partial diagnosis of Crohn's. And they just said, well, there's a little bit of inflammation in your intestine, but it's not too bad. So we're just going to treat it as if it is Crohn's. But because that was just when I was finishing off my final year project, I was doing lab reports. I was then trying to revise for exams. Um, everything got progressively worse. So that's when I got all of the typical symptoms. So I dropped weight, like a good few stones. At the time, I thought it was great because I've always, I wouldn't say I've been um, really curvy or anything, but like, you know, I've never been a skinny, skinny girl. So all of a sudden I'm fitting into size six jeans from Topshop and I'm like, oh, things are going really very well. <laughs> Spending all my, you know, grant and, you know, loan money on clothes and feeling really great about myself. Um, but then I'm also getting the cramps, the horrible stomach pains, the fatigue was ridiculous. Like I'd go to the library and just fall asleep there. Um, and no one, like none of my friends really understood what was going on. So they were a bit like, oh my, you know, you need to get a bit serious. What are you doing? It's final year we've got exams and I just remember sleeping I think I even slept through one of my exams um and then before my final exam (laughs) I actually got um chicken pox for the first time in my life at the age of 23 wow give the girl a break I didn't even realize that I'd never had chicken pox before I remember my sister getting it when I was about 12 and I just assumed that I got it too and do you think that has anything to do with your Crohn's if you know your immune system's down um my immune system was really weakened by then um and I wasn't on any real medication for Crohn's because they weren't really sure they were just giving me 
I think antibiotics to try and treat it as um, an infection in the beginning, even though I wasn't really showing signs of temperatures and stuff like that. Um, it was only months later when um, I went away to um, my parents' home country, which is Kashmir, and there I got severely unwell. Um, and when I came back, I went straight into a &E and I was in hospital for three weeks. And then that's when... Um, you know, they officially diagnosed me with Crohn's and started giving me medication. I went straight onto steroids and then I've been on, you know, anti-inflammatories and immunosuppressants since then. How did you find the medication? Did you find one thing particularly worked over something else? I just remember hating the steroids. Um, I'd never really had too much of like... Um, I was never really body conscious that much growing up. Um, like my mum and dad, we didn't really get pocket money. So I'd never spent any money on like Cosmo Girl and, you know, all of those girly magazines. So I I just wasn't very self-aware of my body um, growing up, which was great. Um, but when I was on steroids, all of a sudden I had the largest face. Like you get that typical moon face. And I was eating a good five times a day. Like they say that you're going to get hungry and you should be sensible and eat more fruit. But for me, it was like a free for all. I was just eating anything and everything. And, you know, I, I remember once we went out for like a dinner with my sisters and my mum and you know we always have a habit of over ordering and there was just loads left over and there's just me like eating away like oh I'll have a oh, bit of that give me your ribs <laughs> give me that leftover pasta and I was just <laughs> eating away and like with Asians they have this thing where like they they love it so when I had relatives coming down he was just like oh you look so great and oh look at this appetite it's so healthy and I was like no uncle I look like a chipmunk like I look like I'm storing nuts in my face and he was just like no he looks so nice on you it's so nice to see you eat so much because um yeah I would go through so much food my dad was like happy our bills our grocery bills like doubled but he was just like whatever you want just take it so I was like picking up biscuits and chocolates and you know all sorts I did not go down that healthy route I also made my sisters put on a few stones because I'd wake them up at two in the morning to be like I'd message like guys I'm really hungry are you awake <laughs> then and we'd go down in the middle of the night and it wouldn't just be like a cereal or anything light we'd I'd start making like you know um garlic mushrooms and Philadelphia cheese on top oh, oh my god can you move in <laughs> <laughs> And then a massive glass of like Nesquik chocolate milk. Um, yeah, that was my midnight. That's more than a midnight feast, yeah, isn't it? That, that is an actual <laughs> feast. Like, you know, set the table. It was a good time, but I think the other side effects, I got acne for the first time in my life. I put on a lot of weight. None of my clothes fit me. Um, I had to just um, unzip all my dresses from the back and just put a cardigan over it to try and hide it. Um, and, and the steroids didn't work for me at all. So... Um, where I went in for a routine colonoscopy just to check how I was getting on because when they did one after I came back from holiday I had like deep deep ulcers so it was quite a big change from where I had a little bit of slight inflammation to having these deep ulcers everywhere and it was just blood constantly coming out and then after steroids they did the colonoscopy to just check and um, it wasn't any better and I ended up actually perforating so I got a hole in my intestine and I was leaking um, the contents of my bowel into my abdomen for about five days because they weren't really sure what was going on. So they were just had me on. I was on morphine. I wasn't allowed to eat in case I needed surgery. Um, and 
they just kept checking my bloods, you know, seeing how I was doing. And that's the first time I ever heard of a stoma. And they mentioned it to me as a stoma nurse came and she was like, oh, so where would you like your stoma placed? I had no idea what she was talking about. I was like, what? What's a stoma? And then she sort of explained it to me. And I was like, no, I don't want it. I don't want it. And in my head, I felt like it was a, what's it called? The self-fulfilling prophecy where if I accept it and decide where I want it then it means I'll definitely have it and at the time it was like a chance that I might not so I was like no I don't want to think about it and she could see I was clearly upset so she just left it like okay that's fine and then whenever the doctors would come over I'd be like no I'm not in pain I'm fine I'm feeling so much better today and they're like oh okay but because they were checking my bloods my CRPs and a normal is below 10 and mine went over 400 and then that's when they were like no we have to take you in for surgery Um, And I I was convinced I was going to die. I had like, I was obviously a poor student who's just finished uni. And um, I remember like as they were wheeling me off saying to my mum, mum, my bank pin is this and I've got about a thousand pounds in there if you need to put it towards my funeral. She's like, stop being silly. That's not happening. But I was like high on morphine at the same time. So I said it in a nice way, I hope. (laughs) I'm I'm sure you did. (laughs) That's not the problem there. (laughs) And how did your family cope with this? I think it's been equally difficult for them because we're all really close and this was the first no it wasn't the first time actually but um I had a brother who passed away when I was 12 but he was born with like heart issues so it wasn't the first time someone was majorly sick but where I was a lot older and I was in constant pain and I had a lot of hospital trips in and out um it was definitely a strain on them but I feel at the same time it brought me and my family even closer. So like I, we're five sisters. We've always been close. We definitely had our fights growing up, especially with um, my sister who's just older than me. I think it definitely helped us to sort of appreciate each other a lot more and just um, spend more time together, um, spent more time with my family, really developed a strong relationship with my dad. And growing up, like he was always busy working, so we didn't get to see him as much. So that was really nice. There was definitely a lot of like positives that came from it. But I know that, especially for my youngest sister, it was quite hard for her because we were quite close and we shared a room and everything. So for me not to be home for quite a few like weeks sometimes months on end I remember when I was in ICU actually I don't remember this she tells me this story but when I was in ICU um I was kind of out of it and I couldn't talk because I had the tubes down my mouth but I was just as anyone who'd come in to see me I'll just be like you know and I've never been a photogenic sort of person or like been bothered about taking pictures but at that time I was obsessed like guys I'm doing the camera motion by the way (laughs) I was just like everybody just take pictures of me take pictures of me and then the nurses were like no you're not allowed but I think my dad sneaked a couple of pictures in here and there of me just like laid up all puffy and everything but um my sister tells me she was just sat at the foot of my bed crying and she couldn't look at me um because you know it's the first time they'd seen me in that sort of way but it's a weird one because we don't actually talk about it we don't talk about like how hard was this for you they don't ask me how hard it was for me I think they're just kind of um I find it really difficult to talk about and I think that was one of the reasons why I did start my Instagram page because it was a way of like me accepting it and trying to come to terms with it and trying to come to terms with how I feel whether that's like through through my crowns or my mental health which is sort of related most of the time as well 
and then being able to put that into words and like helping other people and I feel like it's helpful for my family so when I am feeling unwell and I can put up a story or a post or something it kind of lets them know without us having to have this mushy chat like oh guys you know because I think most people who have siblings kind of know you're not unless yeah you just don't really have that sort of conversation about like how are you how are you how's it going um it's just more of like you know casual yeah it feels definitely i think you know having read your blog it's less confrontational it's not you don't have to signpost like we're having this discussion now but you know that they've they've read it it's Mm. quite similar i suppose to people writing letters for each other just to kind of let you know without having to sit down and have that conversation and i think generally the way that i deal with things is to just try and not think about it um ignore it and my sisters are always the people who make me feel better so if i'm feeling a little bit down then we'll just um put on a movie get takeout you know have a nice cozy day in or like we'll go out together we'll get dressed up and stuff so that always makes me feel good just being around them so then I I always feel like I don't want to ruin it by talking about stuff that upsets me because you know for me I think a lot of the problems that I have there's no point talking about them because they're not going to change it's not something that can easily it's not a problem that can be solved so that's the mentality that I've always sort of had so I've kind of always like held it all in now I'm trying to be a lot more open um and just communicate and like learn to understand how I'm feeling um and then be able to like put it into words because it might help somebody else and I think that's always just the aim isn't it so just on your your blog which you kind of briefly mentioned um could you just tell us a bit about it and um you know what posts you've done and what your aims are Yeah, I try to just talk about um, my experience. Everyone's IBD experience is going to be different. Um, You know, no two people will be exactly the same. You might have similarities and stuff. So I think I try to bring my perspective where I'm a South Asian woman. I'm also a Muslim. And both of these things really, they really define my life. It's something that really like makes me who I am. And then also being sort of um, British as well, born and bred here, London all my life. Um, so just sort of bring those elements into like blogging where I can talk about like um, how my family have dealt with things. And I have quite traditional parents, you know, they're both immigrants from Kashmir. Um, and then being close with my sisters as well. So then I'll also talk about... Um, fasting and how that was for me and there was a lot of things that I sort of had to figure out um that not a lot of people talk about because naturally like if you're not Muslim then it's not something that would ever occur to you so things like being able to fast um what you should do what you should avoid um maybe a way to sort of if you can't do the full 30 days like maybe different tricks to help you sort of feel good in that month without having to put a strain on your body also things like we pray five times a day and um you have to do ablution before your prayers so that you're clean and then I had to like google a lot and really look through loads and loads of like um Q&A sites like Islamic Q&A sites to be like what's the ruling on me having an external bag because normally you would just wash your bottom uh, wash your hands face feet and everything and then you're done but because I have an external bag and it's constantly going I don't have control over it I was just like what's the ruling on that so there was like different opinions and I had to sort of figure it out and then I went and spoke to somebody as well who had like Islamic knowledge and they could get me like a proper 
um, definitive answer. So things like that were a bit tricky for me. Also, like when, for example, once you finish your period, you also have to have like a sort of deep wash, basically. Um, and again, I'm still in the process of trying to figure out, like, does it still count if I have that wash with my bag on? Or does it mean I have to take my bag off every yeah. time before I have that sort of wash and stuff? Um, and it's really hard because stomach bags are becoming sort of more common now, but it wasn't something that was really back, um, like, back then. So no one has, like, a clear, like, answer for stoma bags but they try and put other information from other things and sort of put it together and try and apply it to sort of modern day life so yeah that's the sort of thing and then I'll also just talk about you know how Crohn's is am I allowed to swear yes (laughs) (laughs) but basically how Crohn's is a bitch and yes fucking horrible and I think a lot of times like I've sort of said to like other people as well that you don't always want sympathy. You just want someone to be like, oh, that sounds fucking shit. Yes. That's really enough. Like, oh, yeah, thanks. I'm glad you get it. Because I don't need someone to sort of give advice or like, oh, have you tried this? Oh, don't worry, you'll feel better. Like, I know I'll feel better. And it's not often that I complain about it because this is an everyday thing. So on the odd occasion that I am complaining, you just need to be like, oh, that found, sounds horrible. You don't have to try and relate to it. You don't have to try and give your personal experience with the one time you had diarrhea on holiday or something like that you know it's really not the same yeah that's um something that I often often feel is some when someone tries to say you know oh you'll feel better it's okay or have you tried xyz it's like do you know what I actually don't need that right now I just need you to actually listen to me Mm -hmm. I think that's a really really important point you've made because a lot of the time with chronic illness these are called chronic illnesses for a reason there is no simple solution there's no diet these are unfortunately lifelong conditions which will get better and then they'll get worse again and you just need the support when when it is tough so I did actually want to ask you sort of touched briefly on fasting before um so um how how is that for you is that something that you are able to do um or have you found sort of other ways of getting around that so it's kind of um it changes every year I was diagnosed in 2011 so I've had Crohn's for nine years officially for the first um five six years I couldn't fast so if you're unable to fast because of health reasons and it's unlikely that you'll be able to make it up so it's different from someone who for example that year if you've got like a really horrible flu or you've got some infection and you have to take antibiotics but you can make up those fasts later on in the year um you can do that that's fine but for someone who you don't know when you'll be able to make them up because you have a health condition that's quite serious um you just pay a small amount instead and that money basically goes to towards paying poor people who um basically gives them a meal so where you're fasting and not eating your meals you're basically paying for someone else to have a meal so that's what I've done for all of those years and then there was one year that I actually felt pretty good so I fasted sort of every other day um so instead of the full 30 I did about 15 and I was really proud of myself and the thing with fasting is it really just makes the month of Ramadan so much nicer like you really feel in the spirit like your faith is just like on a high and you just feel really good and content so when you're not able to it really makes a difference but again because I've had surgeries in the last few years and I've not been able to do it this um last Ramadan I thought that I would try and like 
figure out ways that I can make the month still as good and fulfilling for myself without punishing my body unnecessarily. Although I did feel generally well because of the risk of coronavirus, um, that was a reason why I thought I'm not going to risk it this year because um, although I was really tempted to, even to up until the last minute, I was just like, oh, maybe I should just keep a few. But then I was like, no, there's no point risking it because if I get unwell, it's going to be quite, there's a possibility it'll be like really serious for me. Um, so instead I was listening to podcasts, Islamic podcasts. Um, I was watching YouTube videos. There's reading that I was doing. Like I had Islamic books that I'd been planning to read. Um, even just general books, just sitting down and like getting away from your phone or TV and stuff. Um, I wasn't listening to music. I wasn't watching sort of regular TV shows and stuff. And um, I can't remember some of the other things. I just chronicled a few um, that other people could maybe use as tips as well of things that I was doing for myself um, to try and really get the most of it. Um, you can still pray the Quran. Um, you can read the meaning of it. You know, there's there's loads of things that you can still do. And even um, small things like making the nighttime, like the uh, iftar, which is the meal to break your fast, helping make that for your family. Like you get a lot of reward for that too. So there's loads of ways that you can like really make the most of the month without having to fast basically. And that's what I was writing about just to help anyone else out there. And do you find you have to explain to others why you might not be fasting? Is there a stigma around if you are the person not fasting or do you feel that if, if you aren't, that there will always be a very valid reason for why you're not. I think I've been really lucky because I've always had a really supportive family. Um, and my mum was always the one who was discouraging me from fasting. She was like, you shouldn't be fasting. You're not well. You have an illness. God understands. And I was like, yeah, I know. And although God has put provisions for people who are unable to fast, like there's ways around it in terms of paying that amount and stuff like that, you still personally feel like you want to but she was always like no you're not you know don't do it it's not worth it it's not worth it so I'm like oh, fine um and my family like even my extended family they'd ask like are you fasting I'd be like no I'd be like, oh good you shouldn't be fasting anyway you know take care of your body and you know you're not strong enough and stuff like that whereas I know for other people it's not so easy I feel like because I have a stoma bag I have this physical representation of my illness so it's a lot easier for people to accept that, whereas other people who don't have a stoma bag or haven't had surgeries and are just dealing with the symptoms, people aren't as understanding with them. Um, they'll get a lot of like, oh, you're just pretending or you're just exaggerating. I've had um, a lot of like girls message me in my DMs to say that, you know, my family don't believe that Crohn's is real. Like they don't believe that I'm actually going through stuff um, and like how painful it is. They just think I'm exaggerating. So I know it's difficult for a lot of other girls or like even guys. Um, so I think that's another thing that pushes me to just talk about it from my point of view, because they can then send it on to family or, you know, even just if the general public become aware of, Crohn's, colitis, IBD, IBS, stomach bags. It's not as embarrassing to talk about anymore because unfortunately this is an illness that affects your digestive system. It makes you shit yourself on numerous occasions and no one wants to talk about that. No one wants to talk about <laughs> yeah. all the times that they have shot themselves. Unless we make them do it. <laughs> <on the podcast. laughs> 
yeah, I, I know that I'm really fortunate in that respect. So I think that's why it kind of does motivate me. I've had, um, I had this really lovely girl message me once to say that, um, her dad has passed away, but he had Crohn's and he had a stoma bag. And, um, it was at a time where it wasn't common. Um, it wasn't obviously spoken about. And, um, he wasn't allowed to go to the mosque. The people in the mosque, um, didn't allow him to come in and pray because they thought that he was unclean and it was really difficult for him. And this was like maybe a good 20 years ago, maybe a bit longer. And then now, um, she was just like, you know, if he could see you and your blog and your posts and stuff, it'd make him so proud to see like a Pakistani person being so open about it. So I think that's kind of the motivation. And I've sort of briefly explained my Instagram to my mum. She's not really about the internet age, doesn't really get it. She'll be like, oh, okay. I was like, yeah, you know, I'm doing this. And, you know, I've put this post up and I'm doing a, you know, a live story or whatever with someone or another. And she'll be like, oh, okay. And then after she'll be like, oh, why why are you putting this stuff on the internet because you know some aunties called me and said that you put up this post and you know you don't have to put everything on the internet you know and I was just like oh mom (laughs) (laughs) it's a different generation isn't it I think you know so many people have this with their parents that they think that uh, our generation are oversharers or you know snowflakes or we all think about our emotions too much but I think we have found how much it helps ourselves and other people to share and and I think that's why sometimes you have to kind of say yes thank you mum or or you know yes I do hear you but because you know from from these messages that you've been getting you see what a difference it it can make so I actually wanted to ask you something because I've been looking at your blog extensively I really has on um and you talk quite a lot about um fatigue you've got a post about fatigue that's definitely something I struggle with I struggle with sleep I also struggle if I've had a reaction to, because I'm intolerant to gluten, if I've, for some reason, had some sort of reaction, I can feel tired for up to a a week. Mm -hmm. And the effect that that fatigue has on my mood, my behaviour, is titanic. Um, So I just wanted to ask you, what is your experience with fatigue and how how do you manage that? Fatigue, I, I think I always say, personally, I feel like it's the worst symptom of... Um, IBD and IBS and stuff because it's so hard to prove that you're not just tired you're actually on a different level of tired um I'll even till now I hear it from my dad where he'll be like you know sleep early wake up early get into a good routine and you know that's the way to do it um and I think you know he my dad also has Crohn's he was diagnosed after me um so I feel like in a way I can't really say much to him because you know he also has Crohn's um, <laughs> so I can't be like oh you don't know you don't know what it's like <laughs> but uh, it's really hard because I don't feel like I've even found things to help me manage it, really. Um, I just, I have to take naps. Unfortunately, I have to. Um, if I've had a day where I've sort of woken up early and I've done a lot of things, like, for example, last weekend, um, I went um, Westfield with my husband. We were just going to buy bits and pieces. Basically, I was just buying, making him spend money and buy a whole new wardrobe for him. So he was, he was, I luckily didn't have to do any of the changing and trying on, which was great because that would have been horrible. But he was like trying this top on and that top on and that jacket and these jeans and things like that. And by the time we got home, we had to go and see, go and visit some family later on in the evening. And I was just like, 
I'm not going to make it like I have to go straight to bed at least for an hour to just sleep. Even if it's not sleeping, it's just closing your eyes and not moving. I feel like that just makes all the difference. And then after that, you even though you don't feel great, it's enough to like recharge you to go and do something else. And that's why I also like to like my one of my cousins, she always laughs at me because my calendar, I religiously use my calendar. As soon as like I have an appointment or I'm meeting friends or even if I'm going back to my home to see like my family, I put it straight into my calendar so I know exactly what I'm doing. And I feel like for me, that really helps. So if I know that I've got a really busy day coming up on a Sunday, then I'll make sure that I have a really low key day the day before because I'm gonna just, it's just gonna help me preserve my energy. I'm not gonna feel like overworked and overtired. And then that way it kind of helps me push through. Um, and I also make sure that, you know, I don't schedule too much on one day. So if I'm having sort of an early morning or afternoon type thing, then I'll try not to have anything in the evening. If I'm having something in the evening, then I'll sort of rest up all day long so that I can go out and do whatever I need to in the evening. I rely heavily on coffee, although I'm now like I try to only have one a day and not drink caffeine after two o'clock so that it doesn't sort of interrupt my sleep at night. You have to take multivitamins. I'm really bad at doing that. So I'm giving all this advice that I don't take myself but. but it's good we're getting it out into the atmosphere it's you're fun. just saying it yeah I need to start taking vitamin d tablets because everyone whether you're um black or asian and naturally you have less of it or whether you're um white british whatever you're gonna be low in vitamin d and that massively affects your energy levels and your tiredness and your sleep and things like that so that's something that um you need to take uh regularly um, I get injections sometimes because I end up becoming so low on it. Um, I think it's good to get regular blood tests to just check if your iron is low. That gets low so easily and that has a huge effect on your energy levels as well. And it's something that we don't really take too seriously. Like, you know, everyone and their dog is anemic these days. So, you know, you just think, oh, whatever. You know, I feel like I'm eating okay. But you just need, I think with when you've got digestive issues, you're just not absorbing as much. So I could be eating exactly the same thing as somebody else, but I will just absorb way less than the other person. So you have to rely on taking that extra boost and taking, you know, supplements to just help you. Yeah, absolutely. Especially with the um, coming months, the winter months, I think vitamin D is something that I need to get on because yes. apparently also it's very good for fighting off coronavirus. So if you've really? got lots of vitamin D uh, and then you get coronavirus, you'll, you fight it off quicker. I think it makes sense because if it's helping to boost your immune system, it's going to help you um, fight against a virus. So it's like when you get the common cold as well. Like some people will have symptoms for like two days and they'll be laid up in bed and then that's it, they're over it, whereas other people will just knock you back for a good two weeks. I, I find your blog is really uplifting because you talk about how much you love your body and saying how incredible it is, and I often feel very frustrated with my body. I just... There are, are those things of, you know, oh, do my thighs look fat or, you know, do I look horrible in the, this item of clothing, whatever it is. But there's that aspect. But then mainly for me, I just think, why can you not just fight off this cold? Why can you not just do this? And I just wondered how how has your journey been with that? And, and how have you got to the point where you are? Basically, how do I stop doing this? <laughs> this is about me. Help. <laughs> uh, this has been a process for sure. And it's definitely not one that once I've hit that goal, that's it. It's, I'm just there constantly. Um, I'd always like 
complain because my scarring was really horrible like where my intestine burst because it had all leaked inside um when they did surgery it just it got infected straight away because they weren't able to wash out everything like they can't really get into your intestines and get into all your organs and wash everything out so they tried they kept me open for about two days to try and wash out as much as they could but um you know they didn't get everything so my scar didn't heal neatly they actually completely opened up and they couldn't re-sew me back together because it just wouldn't heal so they had to let it it's called secondary healing where it just you just let it heal by itself so it sort of comes together and then upwards so that created this huge dip in my stomach and then I've had subsequent surgeries and I don't have a belly button anymore and it's something that I always like say to my mom that oh I don't have a belly button oh I don't I don't have a bum hole um so it just makes you feel a little bit different but she's like oh who's gonna see your belly button anyway and oh you know belly buttons aren't exactly attractive and but I think going to the gym definitely started to help me because and just really coming to terms with the fact that my body has gone through so much and it's still here it's still functioning as best as it can and I'm still able to get up and even though now I'm starting to have joint problems so this train of thought isn't the best at the moment but I'm still able to get up and walk around and do things for myself and then when I'm at the gym and I started like started to lift weights and things like that it really just made me proud of the fact that I can do something um that I never thought I'd be able to do before um I've never been interested I've never been a gym girl I'm still not a gym girl um but it's something that I I just wanted to focus on getting strong like where I was asked like oh what are your goals it wasn't about losing weight for me um or looking any type of way for me it's just like I just want to feel stronger because that is definitely like helps you mentally because if you can kind of let go of your physical appearance and realize that it doesn't really matter that much your closest um friends and family know you for who you are and they don't judge you based on how you look and i think even if you looked completely different they'd still love you because of the way that you think and the way that you do things and you know how funny you are or how smart you are and just the way that your brain works and how you care for other people and i think this illness definitely makes you more empathetic towards other people so trying to focus on non-physical attributes that i like about myself has definitely helped to like boost my confidence and oma if if somebody wanted to um read your amazing blog um where could they access that so um it's on wordpress and it's just ostimate for life um or you can just go to my instagram which again is the same ostimate for life and uh, i think i've got the link to my latest on in my bio oma thank you so much for joining us you're just wonderful thank Thank you for having me it's been really fun Stop what you're doing, let's talk about pooing. So we've arrived at the part of the show where we read out a listener's turd tale or some bladenage. Mm. Uh, so let me just open the bumbuck. Oh, hi, bumbuck. Oh, I can smell the stories. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. Yes. There you go, there it is. There it is. Now, Claudia, do we have a turd tail or bladenage this week? Honey, we ain't got neither. What? Because we got 
A fart fable. Oh, I love a it. A term coined by this person. We shall not pretend that we made this up. No. It's just fantastic. And before I read their fart fable that they sent in, I'd also like to read the beginning of the email that they sent to us. Because mm. um, I want to be able to name them and say how great they are, but then I, we can't say their name because no, their fart fable, fart fable. Keep it anonymous. I mean, if they then want to post about it, they can. But I, this made me well up quite mm. a bit, actually. I'll read it to you. Uh, hi ladies, I've got a fart fable for you too, but before I get into it, I just have to say how fucking amazing your podcast is. You ladies are my spirit animals, I've been in stitches, the episode feels like numerous conversations I've had with my best friend. I've struggled with stomach issues for about 10 years now. Nervous poos, close calls, smelly farts, horrible pains, you name it, I've had it. My most recent achievement is being diagnosed with Crohn's in January this year. Now, really, fuck you, 2020. I went to the hospital in May for a keyhole bowel resection and left nearly three weeks later, having had a follow-up emergency open surgery, resulting in a temporary stoma bag. I'm all recovered and feeling great with a top-notch support system around me, but Mm. I digress. The reason for me opening up and saying all of this is because you guys were a massive part of my recovery. Prior to waking up after her surgery and finding out I had been given a stoma, I never knew anyone with one, what they looked like and really what it was, to be fair. I found Amber Davies. We love Amber, don't we? We do. I found Amber Davies on Instagram and started listening to her podcast, which is how, which is called um, uh, Inside, Inside Out with Amber, by the way. Everyone should listen to that as well. Um, and started listening to her podcast, which is how I found you fabulous humans. Listening to other people's experiences and how they cope physically and mentally has been a lifesaver. During recovery, I would pop an episode on my headphones and go on walks. In fear of being too gushy or cheesy, I'll leave it at this. You've had a huge impact on my life and made me cry from laughing in the process that is wonderful i don't want to you know do some self masturbation flagellation go on, if you want, if you want, isn't surely self-masturbation is just just masturbation, masturbation. <laughs> or mutual masturbation oh, you can do oh, that so she got very serious then um or mutual um yeah don't want to sort of blow our own trumpets too much but that just really really was amazing to listen to so thank you so much for sending that in that means that means a great deal and the point of the podcast so i'm so glad that that's helped you and thank you so much for letting us know yeah and i hope that you're as well as you can be totally and what makes it off is that she then says now enough of that let's go on to this thing the email is actually about (laughs) a good old fart fable yeah 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 so she says My boyfriend and I have been together seven and a bit years now and not a boundary in sight. (laughs) (laughs) But of course, it wasn't always that way. In the beginning, we were sweet and hid our bowel movements from each other like the vast majority of people do when they are just getting to know each other. We were in a long distance relationship and when visiting each other, it would be for two weeks at a time. Now, for anyone who struggles with IBS, IBD, etc., they will understand that two weeks... 24 7 with your new boyfriend is far too long to be a lady damn right one morning my boyfriend woke up and went to go shower i lounged in bed and as you do i let out a morning fart or a fluff as my aunt calls it but this wasn't a normal fart this was the dirty dumpster sewage dog fart kind that just made your eyes water we've all been there and like i said it's hard to be a lady like all the time. Thank God my boyfriend was still in the shower. It gave me time to get the window open and let the smell disappear. 20 minutes later, boyfriend enters the room and instantly asks what the god-awful smell was. 
Panic was sinking in. What do I say? Will he ever look at me the same if he knows that smell had left my asshole? <laughs> I gathered myself and said, what smell? <laughs> this went back and forth a bit and he was not letting it go. Ugh. So I did the unforgivable and blamed the cat. I said, maybe the cat shat in the room. He's been a bit naughty recently, so that could be the smell. My poor cat getting blamed for this monstrosity. But in all fairness, the cat had been shitting outside his litter box and I wasn't ready to be deemed the gross girlfriend yet. This left my boyfriend searching the bedroom for cat shit for 30 minutes before I broke out into laughter and confessed. We're still happily together, so obviously he forgave me in the end, but it was the moment the cat was out the bag and our boundaries were never to be seen again. So there you have it, an embarrassing fart fable. Keep on kicking ass, your dedicated podcast fan. Oh my goodness, that must have been quite the fart yes. for the smell to linger around long enough for 30 minutes while you searched for shit. That is borderline impressive. Do you fart your, in your sleep? Because I I really do. And it's often, I go to bed sometimes like an hour before my boyfriend does because we get up at different times in the mornings and I'm just usually a lot sleepier than him. So I go to bed and sometimes he opens the door and if I'm kind of awake, I can hear him just stand there Ooh. and just be like, for fuck's sake. Because I, I have a really bad habit of farting in my sleep. Do you? Yeah. There's nothing you can do about it though. I can't help it, I'm asleep. This does remind me of an extremely funny occasion. Last year for New Year's Eve, we went to your caravan. Um, your parents' caravan park. We did, and I was sharing a room with our friend, and it was a very one of those very small rooms in the caravan. Oh, Not yeah. the smallest that you and I nearly died in, yeah, but, but the the sort of second smallest, which is basically a double bed. Yeah, it's kind of like you know you're going from Hobbit to Leprechaun, like you go and yeah, yeah, up. yeah, yeah, yeah. So we got a slightly bigger room, but still very very small, and she was fell asleep in sort of this lounging position with her head rested on her hand, like sort of sat up on her elbow, almost as if she was like sort of posing for a painting. Mm -hmm. And in the middle of the night, I didn't sleep very well, I was still awake. <laughs> I heard this. And then she went, hmm? <laughs> Woke herself up from farting twice and then got really angry that someone had made a noise. I was like, who? Working yourself up from farting. It was hilarious. And then I was laughing and she went, shh. And I was like, you've just farted yourself awake and now told me to be quiet. I remember my granddad Amazing. used to come and visit us and we, we called him Papa. And any time he'd bend down or bend over, he would fart and he was kind of definitely... He, oh, he and he just, he just didn't hear them. Or he just didn't notice. And we'd get into such trouble with my mum for laughing. But you'd That's all be funny. sat there and then there would be this smell. And we were just were not supposed to acknowledge it. And you'd be sat in oh, your dinner. Like, for fuck's sake, can we not just acknowledge that Papa has just let a massive fart out? Like, you've said it I know. Again. Well done, oh. Jeremy. I saw you hesitate that time to say fart. No, you'd managed like not it. to say pop off, though, which I'm really proud <laughs> Really about, tried. So. Um, impressive fart yeah I mean well done like <laughs> well done but I also just there is also just something really amusing about when you're the only person in on the secret <laughs> yeah you're blaming the cat <laughs> like you just you oh, blame the no cat idea. you blame the kid you know <laughs> whatever whoever you can blame it on and then just sitting there knowing that you're the only person <laughs> there's, a, there's a sort of sort of real sadistic humor about <laughs> looking for something when you know either where it is or what it is so many times when i've like borrowed somebody's clothes without asking like <laughs> my housemate she's like i'll help you look and you're looking around you're like i know it's it's on my body right now underneath this jumper but i'm gonna tell you <laughs> look keep lying and then 
if you're blaming it on the cat, the cat's never going to know. Yeah, I, what's I would the cat going to do? It is a victimless crime, apart from maybe a boyfriend looking for <laughs> shit. <laughs> also, I wonder if he found anything else on his search, you know. And, the uh, things he must have seen. Half an hour is quite a long time as well to, to then crack. So mm. it's quite good that you actually said, do you know what? Because I think 30 minutes in, I'd be in too deep. Yes, yes, yes. So we would just also like to say thank you so much for all your support. We've just read out such a fantastic email. And we have had some really, really lovely comments. So so thank you so much. If And if you do enjoy the podcast, please let us know. A new sort of segment, if you don't enjoy the podcast, you definitely don't, you don't have to let us know if you don't like it. Because I'd like to make a special shout out to an account called No One Cares Ryan. <laughs> no One Cares Ryan about your podcast. He commented... On, on something on our Instagram saying there's absolutely no reason as to why this should exist <laughs> and I kind of thought do you know what that's a very valid point you know? so big big shout out to no one cares Ryan but I just want to say no one cares Ryan and we don't care we're going to do it anyway yeah and I also think yeah you're right th- this doesn't need to exist but it doesn't mean, need to you're but... not going to stop us Ryan too late no one cares Ryan you little bitch so if you do like it let us know if you don't like it don't let us know. Yes. That's absolutely fine. And we would like to thank our lovely producer, Nicholas Oliver, who edits and produces... We can do it every week. Are you not going to thank him every week? Fuck no. Really? Christ, I don't have time for that. Oh. I'll, I'll thank, thank him. Thanks yet again, Nick. <laughs> for doing your job. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, thank you. Um, and <laughs> anyway, moving on, moving swiftly on. Let's not linger too much on that. No. Um, and thank. Uh, and if you want to <laughs> stop thanking people, and if you want to email email us in <laughs> right. one of um, your tales or just uh, let us know how you're doing. We love yeah. reading about that. Anybody ish. It's let at um, the podcast official at gmail dot com, and our Instagram and Twitter is at the underscore podcast. See how I know it's up out? No, I'm not even looking at my notes. That's so good. I'm, I'm just guess. nodding along. Yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah. what the fuck going on um but yeah please do rate review subscribe share word of mouth tell people about it and our upcoming guests for the rest of season one of the podcast include james conlon of the toilet me and ibd lottie drynan of the tommy diaries and zoe mckenzie of actively autoimmune so please do tune into those bye bye